0: As we go into the service or go into the sermon this week, I, I wanted to share something with you. It's something that I was noticing this week. Uh, there's a number of times where nicknames have been handed out to people and businesses by culture due to their influence and impact. You know, for example, uh, here's a nickname Mickey D's. You guys know Mickey D's? I think if you go and in culture, you just say, hey, we're going to pop over and grab lunch at Mickey D's most people are going to know what you're talking about. It's a fast food franchise founded in 1940, and thanks to their innovative menu and kitchen design, this restaurant is credited for transforming the restaurant industry and coining fast food to be what it is today. Because of their influence, because of their impact, McDonald's has a number of nicknames. Mickey D's is just one. How about this one, the Y? I was interacting with someone recently who just said I was swimming at the Y. The YMCA, right? The Young Men's Christian Association. But years ago, the the institution wanted to make a break from just being something for men and just being something for Christians. But because of their impact, because of their influence, because of the very Inexpensive gym opportunities and swimming chances, people know the YMCA simply as the Y in culture. Not all of these nicknames are good. I remember when I was in high school, there was one fast food restaurant that was found to be putting fillers in their meat products. You remember that? Because of that, Taco Bell became known as Taco Hell. Anyone ever hear that one? It was such an impact in culture that Taco Bell's name changed, at least in my generation. How about this one, Two Buck Chuck? Oh, now I know who all the wine drinkers are. Now I know I did that one on purpose. It's the, uh, the wine at Trader Joe's. It's actually named Charles Shaw Wine. However, due to its low price and popularity and its evident impact on culture, it was given a nickname, Two Buck Chuck. <laughs> Evidently, one way to gauge cultural impact is whether you get a nickname by culture. It's not just true in our culture, but it was true even back In Bible times. I want to share with you, evidently the church hit a time where it was so influential in a city that they were given a nickname. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says this, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Something occurred within that culture where that movement had such influence in Antioch that they gave it a name. And let me tell you something about Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was known for its commerce. It had incredible buildings. It had a four-mile main street lined with marble pillars. And it was, most people believe, it was the only city of its era with lit streets at night. Antioch was known for its chariot races, it's great business opportunities, and it was a great place for the pursuit of pleasure. In fact, there was an enormous temple right outside of town that was dedicated to the worship of Daphne, that was filled with temple prostitutes and other such opportunities. Antioch was a city as far away from godly as you can get. The pursuit of money, pursuit of pleasure, is corrupt, idolatrous and yet this city with all of their options with all of their spots with all of their jargon they could not find a word to describe the movement of God they didn't know what to call it and so they gave these people the nickname Christians Christian literally means the Christ people it likely wasn't a term of endearment it was a term of definition. It was a term that categorized all of these people into one group based on the one thing they all most likely had in common, the testimony of Jesus Christ on their lips. The term Christian given by the Antiochs, led me to wonder this week. What happened back then? What happened back then that this movement of God could have such influence and such power that their godless culture didn't know where to categorize them, so they made up a term to define them? What happened? What did they have that God used? And is it possible that God could use those same things in our godless culture today. I want to show you, I think this text that we're going into in our study of Acts gives us some characteristics that existed in them that I would hope would exist in us. And my belief is if these characteristics existed in us, I think there would be a cataclysmic impact on culture. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in Acts chapter 11. It's where we are. Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Acts chapter 11. While you're turning there, I do want to remind you of our sermon guides. I know we've been a couple weeks in now, so I want you to know we have these sermon guides. We have print form, we have digital form you can download on our webpage. We also, if you want to download the Chino Valley Community Church app, go to the sermon section every week. Those study guides are available for you on the app where you can take notes, write down thoughts and questions that come to mind. They also give you weekly questions that Pastor Jeff, our discipleship pastor, uh, designs to continue to engage us in the word of God throughout the week. And, and if you haven't received one or you did and you lost it, you need another one, no judgment. Raise your hand. Our or, or good-looking and well-intentioned ushers will be happy to bring you one. Uh, and you might say, Brian, I'm a little young for a sermon guide, but I still need something to occupy my hands and my mouth. We have a sermon guide for you. We have a kid's pack, an activity sheet that you can fill out based on this week's sermon. Take it into the cafe for a free donut or sugary thing that you can drink at your parents' permission. It also gives you what I call a sermon sucker, just uh, some crayons to keep your hands busy and a sucker to keep your mouth busy uh, (laughs) while the Lord speaks through his word. If you need one of those, raise your hand and uh, the ushers will bring that to to you as well. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Let's pick up our study there. Listen to what happened. Verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to to no one except to Jews alone. Hit pause there for a moment. This verse is meant to draw you back to earlier in our study of Acts. You remember the church was in Jerusalem. It was growing. It was growing so large that the apostles had to ask these deacons, these seven people, to come in and help minister to the church. The impact was growing. The, The apostles were overwhelmed. And so these seven, these deacons, these good men who loved Jesus, filled with the word, they came in and began to minister to people. Stephen was one of them. Stephen was murdered for his faith and his testimony in Jesus. And then this happened. If you have your, put your thumb in Acts chapter 11, flip over a couple pages to Acts chapter 8. Flip over to the left a couple pages. Acts chapter 8. I want to remind you of what Luke is talking about in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, this is what happened directly after Stephen was murdered for his faith. So it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, meaning Stephen, to death. And look at what it says. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the Apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But, huge biblical but right there. But Saul began ravaging the church. Remember that phrase, great persecution, ravaging. I mean, this was physical. This was a, a hunt. They were hunting down Christians. Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. And again, remember when we read that, we think, oh no, that's it, that's the end of this movement. I mean, so much for the gates of hell won't prevail against it, right? We have this fear, we have this thought after verse 3, that's the end. But look at verse 4, therefore, as a result of verses one through three. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. I mean, as all of those Christians spread out, they all left preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went into Samaria, and a movement just caught fire. And the Holy Spirit was at work, and they were grafted into the body of Christ Shortly after that, someone spoke to an Ethiopian government official, opened his eyes to the true power of Jesus Christ, and tradition has it that that man, that leader, was the doorway to the gospel in the entire continent of Africa. After that, the gospel went into Gentiles. Cornelius, a Gentile Roman soldier, he and his entire household were saved. So when we go back to Acts 11, verse 19, it says everyone's scattered. You got to remember, man, the church just took off at that. What man meant for evil, God turned to good. And the church just took off, except a lot of those guys haven't gotten the memo yet that God saves Gentiles too. And Sarah, they were just going preaching the Jews. And so it leads us again, chapter, uh, verse 20, chapter 11, verse 20, first word in my Bible, but big biblical but right there. And again, those buts are so important because they lead you to recognize that there's something different happening than you're meant to expect. You think everyone's gonna be focused on the Jews, verse 20, but there were some of them Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. First thing I see in this section, first thing I see in this section, first point of our message, is the witness of ordinary people. The witness of ordinary people. Look, he says, but there were some of them in the Greek, some of them, some of them, it could be anyone, no one special, not one person stood out. It was just a group of normal dudes. There's no superstars, no famous Christian authors, no social media influencer. There wasn't an NBA superstar. There wasn't a mega church pastor. Just dudes, likely dudettes as well. Just some of them. Ordinary people going through their life walked into Antioch, third largest city, known for its godlessness, chariot races, pursuit of pleasure, love of money, political corruption. Ordinary people. They didn't need organizations, demographic research. They just went into town. They weren't intimidated by Antioch. Some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, normal people, ordinary people. Look what they did. They came to Antioch, and look what they were about. They didn't go into Antioch and start talking about the government. Didn't start rebelling against corruption. They didn't go in to change the place. Look what they were about. Who came into Antioch, Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They were about two things speaking and preaching. I want to make sure you understand, those are two very different terms. Speaking means they're having simple conversations with people. They were having discussions in life. They brought up Jesus in normal aspect of their daily lives. They're walking through the street. They bring up Jesus. They're at lunch. They bring up Jesus. They're at work at the water cooler. They're bringing up Jesus. They just bring them up. They're not preaching. They're not going through four spiritual laws. They're not whipping out their tracks. They're just talking. The same way we talk about LeBron James. Same way we talk about the Champions League in soccer, same way we talk about politics, stock market. There's talk. They go, ordinary people speaking about Jesus and preaching. A term preaching. They were proclaiming the good news of salvation. They were testifying about the forgiveness of sins. Listen, there was a point to where they were intentional about introducing people to the truth of Jesus Christ. But I don't think they always started there. Ordinary people just went into Antioch, this godless city, third largest in the Roman Empire. Brand out and start. Ordinary people, not superstars, not special. There's Christians talking about Jesus proclaiming the Word of God. Look what else the text says about him, verse 21. These normal people are going, just going about speaking and preaching, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord. If you're one who writes in your Bibles, understand this is a significant phrase, the hand of the Lord, is mentioned 35 times in Scripture. The hand of the Lord mentioned 35 times in Scripture, and each and every time it describes either divine approval of God or the power of God using something as an instrument of His power. Every time, the hand of God, it's either God's divine approval and or His usage of something else as an instrument of His hand. These ordinary people, man, they're not superstars. They're not famous pastors. Luke probably didn't give us any of their names because we'd be like, who? These are just ordinary people who went into a godless city, speaking about Jesus, introducing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing that the hand of the Lord was with them. God was moving in their midst. And look at the result. A large number believed who believed, turned to the Lord. A large number, an excessive number, a great amount, a ton of people. Now, you want to know how this moon of Antioch started? Ordinary people. Going in there, speaking about Jesus, telling people about the gospel. The hand of the Lord was with them and used them. And a large number, a great multitude, too many people to list in this short book gave their lives to Jesus as a result. I guess the question I was having is what if we did that? I mean, do you think God works the same way, Brian? Maybe that was special. That was just a special moment, that was just a unique time. Why do you think that God wants to use ordinary people still? I mean, here we are in a godless culture, right? Can we all agree with that? What makes me think God wants to use us? There's a number of scriptures. Let me just share two with you. Number one, this is what Paul wrote to a great church. Great church of Ephesus reminds me a lot of you was what Paul wrote then. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. First thing, God did it. You didn't earn your salvation. God gave it to you. Why? We're his workmanship, created, handcrafted in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So we'd watch superstars do it. Is that what it says? So that we would walk in them. Ordinary people. You and me. All right, but Brian, Paul's crazy, right? I mean, he's just one of those aggressive types. Let me show you something, the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter wrote this to a group of Christians, early church, in the midst of heated persecution, wondering what their role is. This is what uh, the uh, Pastor Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, again, Peter tells them, listen, part of your job is to proclaim the excellencies. This is part of God's desire and plan. I wonder, what do you think would happen if every Christian in the Chino Valley, right? Pastor Josh is here. We'll rope in his church. What do you think would happen? His church, large church, our church, large church. Every Christian shared their faith one time. And the Holy Spirit comes back at a 10% success ratio, which I think the Holy Spirit's way more successful than that. We'd run out of seats. We couldn't hold it. That's the purpose of Reach Month. Next month, September, two months a year, we have what I call Reach Month. Which I really want you to perfectly consider sharing your faith one time. Not meaning going to the pier, talking to someone who's just fishing on the side. One person God's already put in your circle of influence. One person that you're thinking, I don't know if they love God. I don't know if they know God. I don't even know if they go to church. We've never talked. We've complained about the Lakers. We've worried about the galaxy. We have talked politics. We've whined about gas prices. We've never talked Jesus. One person. One person you can proclaim Jesus to. Someone who's already a part of your life buddy at work, neighbor, family member, spouse, someone that God put in your life for this moment. One person. There's a fair warning in September. We, meaning I, meaning we, are going to be praying that God gives us all one name. I got great, a great testimony, a great example of what can happen. Next week. Is that 28th? Yeah, next week. Wonderful story. Going to hopefully encourage you. But start praying now. One person you can share Christ with. You can speak about Jesus and preach about the gospel. Now, I wonder. We get so focused on changing culture. What if you just simply spoke about Jesus. What impact would that have? That's just one point. There was more to this movement. It keeps going. See, there's already something stirring ordinary people. It didn't need a superstar pastor. It didn't need a great campus. It didn't need fancy lights and hazers. They just needed people talking about Jesus. A large number of people. Gave their hearts to the Lord. It was so impactful. Look at verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, 300 miles away. No social media, no email, no newspapers. It was all word of mouth. 300 miles away. I went to San Diego to visit my in laws yesterday. Took me forever to get there and back, driving at a safe rate of speed, as a pastor always does. A hundred miles takes forever to drive. 300 miles. No emails. I mean, you want to talk about the impact of this movement. People were talking about it 300 miles away. Jerusalem's like, what? Barnabas, get out there. Look what it says. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Barnabas, hop on your horse, get out there. That's 300 miles away. I know. God's doing something. Go. (laughs) You ever wonder why they sent Barnabas? Remember Barnabas? We met Barnabas a while back. Acts 4. Let me remind you what it said about him. Acts 4, 36. I went out of order, so this is my fault. Acts 4. Look what it says. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of, son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See if this Levite, this pastor, wasn't allowed to own much of anything, most people believe he just sold his funeral plot, and then he was all in to the ministry of God. The Bible tells us more about Antioch or more about uh, Barnabas. Look down at verse 24. Look what it says. They sent off Barnabas, verse 24, for he was a good man. He was a good man. Now, when the Bible says he was a good man, first of all, Barnabas, only one in the book of Acts that Luke describes as a good man. Only person. A book that holds the names of Stephen Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul, one who's listed as a good man. The term good man doesn't mean he was a nice guy, doesn't mean he just said nice things, doesn't mean everybody liked him. The term means he's a man of true Christian character, integrity, and faithfulness. Again, only man in Acts. The Bible uses this phrase, this determination to describe Why'd they send Barnabas? Man, Barnabas was special. Everybody respected Barnabas. He was a good man. Look at this. And not just a man of impeccable faith, impeccable character, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was driven by the Lord. And he was driven by the plans of God for ministry. I mean, Barnabas was all in. When they learned something was happening in Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, a city known for everything it's known about, and that the the work of God isn't just growing, it is just consuming, it's taking over, it's having this huge impact. Barnabas, get out there! And I want you to notice not just what Barnabas did or who he was, but what he did. Look at what he did. Go back to verse 23. When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, when Barnabas showed up and he saw what God was doing, he rejoiced. The term rejoice, he was glad, cheerful, delighted. I want you to notice Antioch was still godless, still corrupt, still focused on money. The temple prostitutes were still working right down the street. But Barnabas was able to look past the junk of culture and look at the heart of God and what God was doing in their midst. He didn't go and, like, oh, what a horrible city. He went and said, oh my gosh, look what God is building here. He rejoiced. Everyone's probably looking at him like he's nuts. He's like, this is amazing, this is great. First thing he did, he rejoiced, and then look, and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. We talked about encouragement before when we talked about Barnabas, like we have this picture that Barnabas is just this nice guy handing out ice cream to all the kids. He probably was, but he was so much more than that. The term "encouragement" doesn't mean he just says nice things. Why wow, you look great in that dress? Your kids are so successful. Good for you. That wasn't what Barnabas was about. Encouragement, exhorting, empowering, encouraging you to pursue the gospel. Look what it says. He encouraged them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Hey, you guys, God's doing something. Don't mess it up. God's doing something. Stay on path. God's doing something. Please don't do something stupid that jeopardizes the reputation you're building. That temple prostitute right down the street, stay away from her and him. I know everyone wants to live uptown. Be content with where you're at. Stay faithful. Be about what God has for you. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep speaking to people about Jesus. Keep doing what you're doing. It was reminiscent of, the, of what Joshua told, to the, uh, told early Israel when they went to the promised land. Remember that? I want remind you, Joshua 22.5. There's the words of Joshua to the people. He says, only be careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. As he's sending them back to their lands, just like, look, I know there's a whole lot of freedom. There's a whole lot of distraction. There's a whole lot of temptation. Please hold fast. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel in your culture. First thing we see in this group was the witness of ordinary people. The second thing we see here is the ministry of faithful leaders. I want to make sure you understand the order of that. See, the movement wasn't started with faithful leaders. The movement was started by ordinary people. And then Barnabas came. Modeled faithfulness. And encourage the church. Keep going. I've shared this with you before, but I think it's uh, important to remind you that even for us, I've shared this a number of times, we need to make sure that we're holding our leaders accountable to being who God's called them to be. My grandfather, one of the most righteous men that I know, I was dying of cancer, was trying to download everything pastoral to me before he died. One of the final scripture lessons he gave me was from a letter of First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Look what he said. This is the Apostle Peter Speaks he says, Therefore I exalt, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Man, encourage them. Exhort them, hold them up, rejoice when God's doing stuff. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but voluntarily because you want to, exercising oversight, not authority, by the way. according to will of God. And not for sordid gain, don't do it for the money. The book deals, the comfortable role, the flexibility of work. I mean, I tell you, there's a lot of great reasons to be a pastor, especially of a church like CVCC. I'm never leaving here. Not for sordid gain. But with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. Man, walking with them, helping them see what's it like to be faithful to the God in the midst of kooky California. Man, this is what leaders are supposed to model. And what do they get? When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. By the way, it's the same thing you get And you want to know the root of what I think a faithful ministry that transforms culture? Number one is the witness of ordinary people. It's got to be. When a movement becomes about one superstar person up front, game over. You might grow a church. You don't change culture. First thing we see of this movement, witness of ordinary people, Number two, Ministry of Faithful Leaders. Man, Barnabas. So much is said about Peter and Paul and Stephen. Barnabas was the guy. He's a good man, impeccable character. He encouraged and modeled. One last thing he did. Love Barnabas. Barnabas. Get back, let's get back to verse 25 in our text, Acts chapter 11, verse 25. As things are growing, right? Numbers continue to grow. Look at what Barnabas did. Verse 25, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember Saul? Most people believe it's been about 10 years since he was converted. Saul's out ministering back home in Tarsus. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. The term taught, the term means to teach, to have this give and take conversation, to show the truths of God, allow people to wrestle. I mean, we still have this idea that teaching means you get a guy up front and he just downloads information to you. I don't know any teacher who follows that plan, who wants change. There's got to be interaction. That's why we're encouraging Wednesday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, small groups throughout the week, sermon discussion with Brian and Jeff. Oh, Brian, I don't know if I want to get involved in a small group. Just come hang out with us. We got coffee. Every now and then, when a certain individual comes, we have snacks. Come on. Just interact. Just interact. teaching, exposing people to the depths of Scripture and allowing them to wrestle with it and apply it in their life. That's where we get to the end of verse 26. Because of the witness of ordinary people, the ministry of leaders, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Man, there's such a movement, that culture didn't know what to call them. Made up a name. There's one other characteristic that I think applies to this. To this movement, to this church that I want to point out to you. Let's read out through the rest of the chapter, verse 27. Now at this time, and some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now other people are coming to look at it. Verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And look verse 29. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. You have this movement in Antioch, started by some ordinary people. Had one of the best leaders that came in after. God continued to grow them. All of a sudden there's a famine back in the mother the, the mother church Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden they're up they're they're hurting financially. They don't have enough food. This church of Antioch, recognizing the position they are, they invest. Man, it's so easy to invest in ourselves. The text isn't saying that they stop supporting their church, in addition. In proportion that any of the disciples had means, right? That's good Bible talk. Just as everyone felt God was leading them to do, individually as they could, they invested in other places too. Now, what made this group of people in Antioch so special started with ordinary people, they had ministry of faithful leaders they had generosity towards others. It wasn't about the church of Antioch. It was about the church of Christ. Now I want to take a minute, and I just want to encourage you. I mean, your generosity as a church is legendary. You've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to churches overseas, not with strings attached, and confidence, that God is doing in them the same thing he's doing in us. When millions of people were displaced in Ukraine and we learned that our church partners were ministering them and feeding them and housing them and transporting them, you guys raised up. We, we've sent nearly $20,000 out there just for that movement in confidence that God's doing the work. You guys have even helped local churches, local pastors. In the midst where churches were pulling apart, churches were more divided than ever before during the pandemic, you guys raised up and supported other pastors and other churches. I share that with you not to puff you up. But to celebrate with you what God is already at work and doing in this movement. You know, the term Christian in our culture is one of the vaguest titles within the English language. Seems like everyone claims it and no one defines it the same. And now you have a bunch of people arguing over it. Who gets to call themselves a Christian? There's people who say, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be called a Christian anymore. I want to be called a Christ follower. I want to be called this or that. And I was thinking this week, what if we stopped worrying about what people called us? And what if we started to focus on what people saw in us? Early Christians didn't call themselves Christians. It was a name given to them because of their impact and influence. What if we stopped worrying about what people called us? And what if we got back to focusing on what people see in us and hear from us? Let's culture, call us what they want. But we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Christ. And I'm confident that God is at work in your life, in Bethany, and in other churches in the Chino Valley, even in Kuki, Southern California. And I'm excited on what God has in store for us still. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as a church, again, we're grateful and thankful for what you have allowed us to be a part of. God, it's your grace and your mercy that allows ordinary people like us to come together. God, it's your grace and mercy that has blessed us with this campus, our comforts, our protections, our freedoms. And God, it's your spirit that empowers us to be instruments of your glory. God, I pray you'd remind us of these powerful truths. And God, encourage us to take a step in one of these areas. God, maybe there's someone here who feels as they're an ordinary people and has nothing to offer for your kingdom and your glory. God, I pray that you help them see their own life as you do. God, maybe there's leaders here who feel like it's time for them to step up and encourage and celebrate what God's doing to help teach. God, I pray you empower them. Give them confidence in what you've placed in their life. Give them faith that you can use everyone for your glory. And God, I pray you continue to build us into a generous people. God, that not only will build your ministry at Chino Valley Community Church. But God, that that would spill over and that we would be about your kingdom. God, our prayer and we pray as you've taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray you give us our daily bread. Help us to be content with what you give us. And God, forgive us our failures of this week. God, we promise we'll work hard to forgive those who have failed us. God, we ask you don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, protect us from doing something stupid that would jeopardize your work, your reputation, and our ministry. And God, give us faith. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen.